to Ephesians chapter 2. And we need God's help to understand His Word and to understand these things that we're thinking of today. So please join with me in prayer as we come to His Word together. Father, we come to you again knowing that you're a God who speaks to us through your Word. You have done over the centuries to and for your church. And we pray that you would this morning for us. Speak to us, Lord, into our lives and into our hearts and into our lives as a church as well. Uh, we pray that you would do this for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've looked at, in the Apostles' Creed so far, we've looked at, uh, I believe in God the Father. We've looked at, I believe in Jesus Christ and his, uh, his death, his life, his death, his resurrection uh, and his ascension. We've looked at believing in the Holy Spirit. And this morning we come to the next section in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now, a long time ago, well, not that long ago, but in the 1980s, there was a man called Steve who ran a computer company. It's only a small computer company just starting up, but he was trying to get people to join his team. And there was a man he wanted on his team called John Scully. And he really wanted this man because he knew he was a good businessman. He wanted him to be on his team. But at that time, John Scully was the big boss at Pepsi. And how would you get someone who's the big boss of, you know, one of the biggest drinks companies in the world uh, to come and join your small startup computer company? Well, John Scully said that Steve asked him a question that changed his life. What was the question he asked him? He said this, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? And, um, uh, and John Scully said that question changed everything for me. Now, you might have worked out, Steve is Steve Jobs, and the computer company was Apple. And so at that time, it looked like a small nothing company, but obviously by today, it's uh, everywhere and is a big influential company. But isn't it interesting? Do you want to carry on doing that, or do you want to come with me and change the world? Part of something big, part of something that is uh, glorious. Well, do you know this morning, as we come to think of the church, the church is ridiculed by men. The church is dismissed and misunderstood. But when we understand what the Bible tells us about the church and how the Bible teaches about the church, God invites us and tells us that if we're trusting in Jesus, we are part of something that is going to change the world, something that is glorious, something that is uh, wonderful. And the, Impos the Apostles' Creed, remember, is a summary of what we believe as Christians, kind of bringing it down to this, these are the basics. And in the basics, we're saying we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now, there's five things that we're going to look at to help us this morning. As I said, we'll base it in Ephesians 2, but this doesn't, we're not going to cover everything with the church this morning. This is kind of an overview for us to help us as we think through these truths together. Five things that show us we might have missed how important the church are. The first is this. The church is wider than we realise. The church is wider than we realise. And we see this in verses 13 to 18 of the passage in Ephesians 2. Now, to help us understand this point, we need to understand probably the second most misunderstood part of the Apostles' Creed. The first part that was misunderstood and that can sound a bit, sound a bit strange to us is when it talks about Jesus descending into hell. And we've dealt with that, we thought about what that meant uh, a few weeks ago when we looked at it. But the second bit, maybe for the first time you're reading it, is these, this phrase, isn't it? When we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic church. 
Because often think, well, what do you mean? Are we part of the Catholic Church? Are we saying we're Catholic now? Are you changing? You know, are we not Protestant anymore? We're Catholic. Well, no, that's not what we're saying. The word Catholic simply means universal. We're part of a church that is wide, a church that is worldwide. Uh, and uh, even though we might, it might sound strange to say the Holy Catholic Church, we are saying the Holy Universal Church. Now, it means that we've got a wide faith. It means we're part of something big. It means we're part of something global. Listen to those verses in verses 13 down to 18. Uh, now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in us, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Now here we'd have seen this division between Gentiles and Jews, non-Jews and Jews, and it's telling us Jesus has come and he's broken down that wall of division and he's united all together. Those who trust in Jesus are one. We're part of this universal church. And in verse 18, do you see what he says there? For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So everybody who trusts in Jesus, we thought about last week, is granted a gift from the ascended Jesus of the Holy Spirit. And we all, if we're trusting in him, are forgiven, we're cleansed, and we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he dwells in each believer. And that means we are united together. And remember, Romans 8 tells us the spirit that's given us is one of adoption. We are all adopted into the family of God. So God is the Father, we are his children, and so does that, what does that mean? We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters. We have family. So as we look around this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, you are looking at your brothers and sisters. As you think about being part of something global, you have brothers and sisters all over the world. If you've got family abroad, it often comes up in conversations, isn't it? Oh, I've got family there. We've got family in Canada. And I often tell, oh yeah, we've got family. And you find connections. But you know, if you're a Christian this morning, you've got family on every kind of corner of the earth. Brothers and sisters. I remember um, when my brother lived in Kenya for a while, we went out to visit him, one of the, I think it was in the Easter holidays. And we were looking for a church to visit. And we were on this island of Lamu in, off the coast of Kenya. And we were trying to find a church and we ended up finding this church. It was in the middle of what seemed like a, a, a rubbish tip really. And there was this little building and we went in and there were people singing God's praise. And you know, we understood the words. It was thankfully they were singing in English. But when we were talking to the Christians after, even though we'd never met them before, there was a deep connection. We were rejoicing together in the risen saviour. These are my brothers and sisters, never met before, but there was a deep connection. If you have any time with Christians, there will be that connection you'll have with them. The same thing happened when I lived in Thailand, went to a church, didn't understand much of what was going on, but we all knew that we loved Jesus and he'd saved us. And so we had this connection. We have, we have family all over the world and we, have, we are connected with them. That's what it means when it says that we are part of the Catholic, the universal church. In Revelation 7, it tells us there of, of heaven and what it's like and what it will be like. And uh, John writes this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So heaven is going to be gloriously diverse. 
tells us later on in Revelation 21, everybody will bring their treasures in from every different culture. Uh, all the different smells and tastes and, uh, and architecture, all of that will be part of the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be gloriously diverse because we're part of this wide, universal, Catholic church. So as a church, we need to remember that, don't we? We need to keep our vision global. Remember, we're not just on our own. We're part of something bigger. So keep our vision global. It means we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters over the, world, over the world. And there's better ways we could be doing that than we're doing that now. So think through, how could we be doing that? How could we be supporting and encouraging believers all over the world? We are united to them. They are our brothers and sisters. But it also means this. We're part of the universal church, not just today that are with us now, but as I mentioned earlier, to those in the past, those who've gone before us. So our family tree is quite something, isn't it? Think of your hero in the faith. I don't know whether it's Helen Rosevier, Elizabeth or Jim Elliot, you know, William Wilberforce, Gladys Aylward, William Morgan, all these people we could be naming. They are part of our family tree. And we are part of this, as we look in a moment, this communion of saints. We're part of their, they're part of our family. Let's, let's learn from them. Read their stories. See what they can teach us. So we're part of the wide church, worldwide, historically wide, but as well locally. There are brothers and sisters in our valley who trust in Jesus. Now their churches might look a bit different to ours, but if they're trusting in Jesus, if they're believing in the gospel, which we'll look at in a moment what that means, they are our brothers and sisters. I need to pray for them. Pray that God would bless them, that their church, the churches would grow and many would come to know Jesus through their witness. We're part of something big. Um, we need to pray. We have this deep connection with them. And also, as we think of us, kind of as we narrow it down to us, we are to be a wide church. We are to welcome all. You know, it brings us, the church brings people together this morning as we look around. Why else would we meet together? What else have we got in common? Well, as often think, well, not much, but we have Jesus. He connects us. And so people should come in and go, this is strange. Why are they all meeting together? You know, what have they got connected? Well, we haven't, but we're connected through Jesus. And that speaks volumes of um, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So let's keep praying that our church would be wide. Is there anybody you've stopped praying for because you think, oh no, maybe God won't save them or, or church isn't for them? Is there anybody who you have never prayed for and have written off? We can't write off this. We can't write off who the gospel is for. We extend the invitation to everybody and pray that we would have a wide, diverse congregation that shows the glories of God's love for anybody, whatever their background, whatever they've done. We are to welcome and invite all. The church is wider than we realize. The second thing we see uh, in this passage is that the church is deeper than we realize. Look at verse 20 with me. Um, the church is wide, and the church is to be welcoming to all, but how do we know who's part of it? Well, verse 20 tells us uh, that the church is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the church is deep. What I mean by that is that it has foundations. It is built on something. What's it built on? It's built on the apostles and their teaching. The apostles, remember, are those who were specially commissioned by Jesus, the disciples who saw him alive. So the 11 disciples that were left, and then Paul, who saw the risen Jesus, he was commissioned by Jesus. They were commissioned by Jesus. And their writings, their teachings, we find in the New Testament. So that's our foundation, the apostles' teaching, and the prophets, and 
Jesus Christ. He's our cornerstone. He's the stone that we are built on. So we are to base what we do as a church on the teachings of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus. So where do we find that? We find it in the Bible. We are to be people of the Bible. That is how we know we're part of the church. So um, we're a wide, we want to be wide and welcoming. However, we need to realize what it is that makes us part of the church. Remember Jesus' words in John 17 that we looked at a few months ago. He said this, I do not ask for these only when you praise with disciples, but those who will believe in me through their word, through the apostles' word, that they may be one as you, Father, and I are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Jesus is praying for unity for all believers, but they don't just believe in anything. It's not anything goes. Believe in the word of the disciples. Believe in what they teach. Believe in the apostles' teaching. So when it comes to the truths of the Bible, now there are many different things that Christians will disagree on. There are things that are kind of gray areas, as it were. Things that um, Christians over the centuries have said, well, I believe this and I see it in the Bible. Somebody says, I believe this and I'll show you where I believe in the Bible. And, and it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Do you think, well, what do we believe? But there are some things that are clear. Some things that all Christians will believe. And they are things that we hold on to with a, with a firm grip. We say, I'm not letting go of these. You know, I'm holding this and I'm saying, that the Bible teaches in the Trinity. The Bible teaches that uh, God's word is, is our authority. The Bible teaches that the death and resurrection of Jesus is essential for us to be saved. That we're not saved by works, but by faith in him. All of these things we say, I'm not letting go of this and many more. But there's other things that might, we, Christians might disagree on and we kind of hold that and say, I believe this. And we believe it firmly, but we hold it with an, with an open hand. And we say, if somebody believes on these things that I'm not letting go of, you know, they, they are, we, we can believe and that we can trust together, we can work together. But there's other things um, that, uh, that we might not hold as tightly. And so we need to be sure on what we believe on the foundation of God's word. You see, it's saying, it's saying just because something is said, called a church, it might not be part of the church if they're not believing what the Bible says. If they're just making up or, or saying, oh, I believe this and I don't believe this. No, we need to believe the message that Jesus has given us. Otherwise, what are we? We're the church of Jesus Christ, not just the church of what we think is best. And that's why when we put it together with the first point, the wideness of the church, we're not just kind of turning up in the 21st century saying, right, what are we going to learn from the Bible? No, we've got wisdom and years and years of people who have taught and studied and, and, and interpreted the Bible that helps us. So we can say, what can I learn from my brothers and sisters in the past? What can they teach us? We stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, you know, we, we build on what they have taught us. We don't just turn up and say, right, uh, we, don't, we ignore everything that's gone in the past. No, 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 we, we want to learn from our brothers and sisters in the past who've been given the same spirit that we have today. Thomas Jefferson was uh, the third president of America. And there's some parts of the New Testament he didn't like, especially those bits where Jesus did miracles. So do you know what he did? He cut them out literally cut out and, and pasted so he had his own bible the jefferson bible which was just the bits that he liked or the bits that sat well with him uh, you know and amazingly the bible agreed with his bible agreed with everything he thought what kind of god do you have if you have a bible that you cut and paste what you like you get a god who is just like you a bit of a bigger version but agrees with everything you agree with that's no real god is it that's a made-up god we need to realize that we proclaim the faith of uh, the um the teaching of the bible of the apostles and the prophets and the foundation of jesus christ we hold out this message of forgiveness for all we don't change it 
We are to hold on to this truth and to pass it on to the next generation. Now, that means there is going to be hard times where we have to stand up and say, no, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what it says. Even though our culture might say something totally different, we say, no, this is what it says, and we've got to hold on to this. You know, when we talk about um, the uncomfortable things about it, when we talk about God's wrath and his anger against sin, it's not nice to say, but it is essential for us to hold on to. We need to get to know God through his words, and we need to pray that we would lovingly share that message with others. See, the, God's, the church is wider than we realize. It's deeper than we realize. It has a foundation for us to grow on. It is also higher than we realize, higher. See this in verses 19 to 21. Uh, two words we look at together in the creed. It says the holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. So holy and saints. And we'll go, uh, we'll listen to what that means in, in verses 19 to 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now the words holy and saint can sound quite ethereal, can't they? Sound quite kind of kind of high up and think, oh, what's going on here? Is that, who's that talking about? Who are, who are the saints? Who is the holy church? But in the Bible, every Christian is called a saint. It's not just for those who've done a certain amount of miracles, or not just for those who, uh, you know, have done some special tasks. No, in the Bible, every single Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus, you are a saint. So look around. There's loads of saints in here this morning. We're all saints. One place where that's confirmed that it doesn't mean that we're anything special, but just that we are set apart, that's what we're saying, we're holy, that are set apart for a special purpose, um, is the church in Corinth. If you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, the church there was a real mess, full of immorality, of fighting, division, and just dark things going on. But how does Paul start his letter to the church in Corinth? To the church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to these this churches that is, that is a mess, and he's calling them saints. You see, we are saints because we have a special role, and our special role is we get to live for Jesus and speak for him. We get to disciple, go and make uh, disciples of all nations. That's our role as a church, as Jesus commissioned us. So, Jesus, uh, we're called holy, not because of our nature, but because of our calling. Uh, I'll say that again. We are called, Jesus calls us holy, not because of our nature, but because of our calling. We're set apart. We are given a special purpose, a specific role. Remember what Mark says, um, Jesus says in Mark 2, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call righteous, but sinners. So even though we're called saints, we need to remember that doesn't, it isn't saying that we're anything special. It means we've found a doctor because we admitted that we're sick. It means that we are, um, you know, as, as has been said many times, that the church is a hospital for sinners, not just a museum for saints. We are like beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. That's it. So let's not, um, to understand the word saints, we've just got a special role that God has called us to. 
um, through nothing special in ourselves, all through his commission. In verse 19, do you see there what we're told? We're called fellow citizens. That is, we're citizens of another nation, country. Philippians tells us we're citizens of heaven. And if we have this citizenship, there should be a taste of another country, another culture when people come and uh, join us in church. You know, when you go and if you're in another country and you find expats, you know, you like, uh, you, you get to see and taste the, the home culture. All oh, right, this is where you're from. In the same way, people should come and say, you know, there, there's something different because we have another citizenship. We're part of something else. Remember what Jesus prayed again in John 17 when he prays for us? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, so don't be separate, not a holy huddle, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. So Jesus prays for us to be holy, for us to be sanctified, for us to be different, so that others will see that we have been sent by Jesus. So as, it, as we think of that phrase there, uh, we believe in the holy Catholic Church, that is, set apart and the communion of saints. Are we living lives that are different? Are we living lives that are distinct? Is there a taste and a smell of another culture, another citizenship when people come and are part uh, and join us? You know, the illustrations given, isn't there, of um, are you a thermostat or a thermometer? I know as we're all shivering here this morning, it might be a bad one to choose, but what's the difference between a thermostat? And it does work here, uh, but the thermostat affects, doesn't it, the atmosphere around it. It chooses the temperature and says, right, I'm going to do whatever I can to get it up to that, that temperature. What's a thermometer? A thermometer tells you what's happening around it. It's affected by the, uh, by the atmosphere. We're to be thermostats. Uh, we, we are to say, this is God's word. I am sticking to this. Uh, and and to, to pray that we can have that effect on the, the life, lives around us. So do you see, we have a high calling. We get to live for God, to follow his ways to live lives for him that are wholly set apart, uh, given the specific role. And we are, we are saints. You know, we are given a special role by God. So we have, the church is higher than we realize. It's wider, it's deeper, it's higher. And also, fourthly, the last two are much shorter and nearer than we realize. This is where we're going to look at this phrase, the communion of saints. Now, communion is talking of fellowship, of, of nearness. Uh, look at verse uh, 19 again. You are no longer aliens and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together in a, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Can you hear the language there? This isn't a language of being far from each other, is it? It's, there's a nearness here. Um, it's, a, it's a family he talks about. He talks about being built into um, a temple. But think about that. We've been told we're a family. With your family, you know your family, don't you? You know their annoying habits. You know when they wind you up. You know when they're having a bad day. There's no pretending with your family because they know you. You know, you can, and when things get hard, you can't just walk out because they're your family. In the same way, a local church is a family. That means we are to know each other. 
You know, we, can, we, we don't pretend with each other. That's what this is saying. We know each other's weaknesses and strengths. We know where we can pray for each other. We know each other's annoying habits. And it's a safe place for us to be who we are. And that's what church should be. It's a place where even though people know our faults and our failures, they accept us and we are loved because we're family. Now is that, are you allowing people to know you or are we just pretending? You know, do people know how to pray for you? Do they know where you're struggling? Know how to um, help you and encourage you? It means that we're going to get on each other's nerves because families do, but it means that we stick together even though we get on each other's nerves. We are being uh, made into this, this family we've been talked of here, the same father. That's a lovely picture. And let's pray for each other. That, that is the, uh, the community, the communion of saints that we have here, a family. And the picture's used there as well as a te- of a temple, isn't it? Verse 22, you are being built into a temple. Remember what the temple was in the Old Testament? The temple was where God promised to dwell in a unique way. And he is saying here, where does my presence dwell in a unique way? In the, the church, in the church of Christ. We are being built into this temple. Where do we see God's glory? Where do we know his presence when we're together as his church? Through one another. Now it's saying, isn't it, together we are God's spiritual house. Again, when you're being built, um, Peter uses this illustration as well in his letter like bricks being built together, being put together and to be made into this holy temple. Now, the thing about bricks is they're not very useful if they're spread apart. You don't have one brick on one side of the field and one brick on the other. No, bricks are connected. And if one brick moves, the other brick moves. If one brick's hurting, the other brick feels it. And the same way, we need to have that kind of nearness and closeness to one another. I know it's hard to say when we're spreading out like we are, but you know what I mean? This emotional and relational closeness. This is what we need to be praying for and aiming for as a church. I wonder, are you connected to other people in church like this? Do people know you, how to pray for you, how to help you? Not just, that means it It can't be just Sundays. It can't be just this um, hour we have together. There's got to be more. We've got to be in touch and and praying and connected to each other. And do you realise the importance that God wants us to, to be built together like this? So we need each other if we want to know and live as a believer, we can't do that separately. We need one another. We need to be connected. And I'm inc- always encouraged by that phrase, um, you are being built. It's not, you're not a finished product. We're not the finished product, but we are a work in progress. Kind of, we're a building site in that sense. Uh, and that means that we're going to get things wrong. We're going to make mistakes. Uh, and, you know, it is going to be hard work sometimes. And so we need to keep being patient with each other. Remember how the temple was built? They didn't quarry, they quarried stones, but they didn't do any chipping or knocking around of stones in, um, on the temple site. What they did is they took it away and then they chipped at the stones there and they found the right, you know, they, they chipped at the stones and then fit them into the right way. Well, we need patience with one another because we are going to be chipped on. You know, God is going to need to do work in us to fit us in. And so we need patience with one another. And we need one another to help each other to live this way. You are being built into a spiritual house. We need one another to make us more like Jesus. These are challenging things, aren't they? Big things. But this is what we need to pray for when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Listen to this quote by uh, an American author, Max Lucado. He says this, 
Questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. Yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your understanding with mine, we share our discoveries. When we mix and mingle, confess and pray, Christ speaks. The importance of being together. I love that where it says, he dissipates doubts through fellowship. That we share with one another, we pray for each other, and we live for each other. So as we close, the church is wider, deeper, higher, nearer, but also the last thing very briefly is this. It's more precious than we realize. The church is more precious than we think. As I said at the start, we, the church is ridiculed, mocked, ignored, and yet look at verse 13. We've been brought near. We were far off, but we've been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. What does it cost for us to be part of the church of Jesus? Entry is free, but it cost Jesus his life. It cost him his blood. And so that means that the church is precious because he poured out his blood. He paid for, his, uh, paid for the church by his blood. In Acts 20, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders just before he leaves them. And he tells them, look, guard the flock. Look after them. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The blood of God obtained and bought and paid the price for the church. That's how precious the church is. So, again, as we look around this morning, you are looking at people who God thought precious enough to shed his own blood for. If that's how God thinks of one another, how much should we honour and pray and love and esteem one another? That's how much God loves us. We are valuable to God, and so they, we must be valuable.